As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. are listening to the eighth episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson and over this first series Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as the meaning of life, stories and the hope of heaven. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode, we will be talking about Lewis's thoughts around suffering and the problem of pain. Alistair, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to be talking today about C.S. Lewis's view of pain and suffering. And I think it's fair to say that he never wrote about this sort of thing in a vacuum. Would you say just a little bit about some of the pain and suffering that he experienced as a person? Well, Lewis, I think, had a very difficult early period. And very often, people who don't know about Lewis actually are rather surprised to learn about this because they very often think Lewis was an Oxford don, isolated from the world. What did he know about pain and suffering? And so we need to bear in mind, first of all, that Lewis lost his mother to abdominal cancer um, when he was about nine years old. And it was appalling, you know, the pain she suffered. It was really very, very distressing. And it's not simply that he lost his mother. His mother was his security. In other words, this was the person who meant everything to him, and she was taken away from him. So that was traumatic. So you can see immediately Lewis is someone who knew about suffering. 
But then, of course, we also need to remember that Lewis went into the First World War as a British soldier. He was, he was recruited in 1917, and he went to fight in northwestern France and was wounded. And around him, of course, he would see his friends dying before his eyes, people being wounded and so on. He was very angry with a non-existent God for allowing this because he was an atheist at the time. But the experience of suffering was real. Not simply was he so badly wounded, he had to be invalided back to England. He actually um, saw the impact of this suffering on other people, people who he had known who were damaged, destroyed by suffering and trauma. So Lewis actually really knew about this. And one of the things that I think is very interesting is to read one of Lewis's letters in which he talks about the experience of nude bathing in Oxford. Um, this was something that people did at the time. And one of the things he noticed was that um, in his year at Oxford, there were lots of people with shrapnel wounds. Mm. And then a new generation of students arrived with no wounds of any kind. He began to realize these are people who knew nothing about the war. These are the post-war generation. They don't understand what I've been through. So Lewis really had a lot of experience of pain and suffering, even though he did become an Oxford Don. But he never really talked about his experience during the First World War, I think because he found it so traumatic. Was, was all of that pain and suffering that C.S. Lewis saw in his early life as a student uh, in the First World War by losing one of his best friends, Paddy Moore, was that one of the key reasons for not believing in God? Was, did that kind of cement his atheism? It did cement his atheism uh, in the sense he felt, look, I could not believe in a God who allows this to happen. It's unjust. It's not right. But then we find Lewis beginning to reflect on this, you know, if I say God is unjust or this is wrong, it implies there's this standard I can apply to this and judge God to be unjust or this to be wrong. But where do I get that from? And, you know, there's no alternative world I can judge this by. So maybe, maybe I need to rethink this a bit. And certainly you see Lewis, in effect, feeling the emotional trauma of suffering and pain, but beginning to wonder if this actually is quite such a significant piece of evidence against belief in God as he once had thought. So I suppose in some senses it was an emotional objection, but not necessarily an intellectual objection because he couldn't quite reconcile that with making sense. I think Lewis felt deep down in his guts that this wasn't right, but he found it very difficult to translate that into a coherent intellectual argument. It was a gut instinct. But he began to, to argue, well, look, if this is a purely Darwinian world in which things happen by chance, isn't this what we expect? So, you know, why, why am I getting so worked up about this when on one way of looking at things, an atheist way, this is what we should expect? And he wrote about suffering and pain in quite a lot of his work. So you see it sort of peppered through Narnia. But really the two most seminal works around pain and suffering are uh, The Problem of Pain and A Grief Observed. So let's take A Problem of Pain first. Why, was, why did he write that and what's kind of the main premise of that book? Lewis wrote The Problem of Pain because he was asked to. Um, what happened was that um, Lewis uh, had gained a reputation as a good speaker and um, a publisher was um, 
preparing a series of short, popular Christian books on various topics. One of them would be The Problem of Pain. That was their title, not Lewis's. And they thought Lewis actually could speak very well on this because he could bring an atheist perspective to bear on. So they they put the proposal to him and he thought, actually, no, I could do this. might be interesting. And he did. And so it's very significant because it's, it's his first work of apologetics. And in fact, the preface to that really explains his own journey from, from atheism to Christianity. And that's very interesting. And what Lewis is, is really doing in this book is to show that superficially pain is an intellectual objection to Christianity. But when you look at it more deeply, it's not Now, one of the problems is that Lewis tends to cerebralize pain. It's a bit of an intellectual puzzle. And you are left feeling, you know, where's the emotional side to pain? You know, Mm. it seems to be simply like doing a crossword puzzle where you're trying to fit the bits so they all get in there. There's no sense really that people find pain not just intellectually puzzling, but emotionally traumatic. But that being said, it's still a very interesting and very promising book. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because it's not, I, I think you could read that and think he's clearly never suffered, which is obviously not true at all, because he had all this extreme suffering as a young person. And I wonder if it's partly, as you said earlier, maybe it was too painful to bring it up in that book. So he kind of went from a purely intellectual perspective. Do you think suffering ever is just an intellectual issue? Or do you think it's always a question of the heart? I think there's, there's always a question of the heart. I mean, in The Problem of Pain, Lewis doesn't talk about his own experience of pain. I mean, that, that's very, very clear. And it's quite significant because Lewis just found that too difficult to talk about. But there's always a backstory. And, you know, why do people find this so traumatic? It's because when they think about pain, they think of their mother dying from cancer. They think of their best friend, you know, on a battlefield in northwestern France dying from a bullet wound. In other words, it's not just the physical aspects of suffering. It's the memories that are attached to that. Very often during the Great War, suffering was linked with personal experience. And so I think Lewis realizes that really um, suffering cannot be treated as a purely intellectual issue. It always links up with life experience and hence with emotions. But Lewis doesn't want to go there because I don't think he could cope with that. I think he he finds it safer to talk about suffering as a purely intellectual issue. So it may well be that's what his publisher wanted him to do or maybe his personal choice. But certainly there's very little of, of the raw emotional reflection you might expect on the trauma of suffering it's much more how can we fit this intellectual inconvenience into an intellectually coherent picture of God. And I suppose that might be why some people dismiss Lewis as not particularly understanding the problem of pain and suffering. And yet then we get to a grief observed, which I think you described it as an emotional firestorm. Would you say just a little bit about where a grief observed came from and what the premise of that book is? Well, Grief Observed is a late book. It was published in 1961, and it was prompted by something that happened in 1960, whereby Lewis had married Joy Davidman, and she developed cancer. And then there was a period of remission. They both thought, it's over, you know, it's good, you know, it's, it's gone away. And then it came back. And so it was traumatic, and they knew she was going to die, and she was dying in pain. And Lewis just found this unbearable. And... The book, A Grief Observed, is a description of Joy Davidson's death and Lewis's reactions to it. And it is very difficult to read, I have to say to you. Um, it's a very accurate description of the grieving process. 
Um, and there are places where Lewis, for example, describes his own feelings, says, look, uh, I, I, I saw her suffering. And I thought, if only I could suffer in her place. It's awful. You know, it's really raw. And it is such a good description of the grieving process that um, the book, which Lewis wrote under a pseudonym, because he did not want people to know who had written this, was read by some of his friends who knew he was grieving from the death of his wife. And they said, hey, there's a very good book on the grieving process here. It's called Grief Observed. Would you like to read it? (laughs) And, of course, Lewis couldn't say anything. But it was a very different book because this one confronts the emotional side of pain head on. And the contrast with the problem of pain is just uh, astonishing. What do you think changed there? Because it's not as if he hadn't experienced suffering when he wrote The Problem of Pain. So why do you think he's in a place where he can now talk about some of those emotions? One of the things that Lewis says in his letters is that when you're confronted with grief or pain or trauma, one of the best ways of coping with this is to write about it. Put it down on paper. And I think personally, Lewis decided that one of the best ways of coping with the trauma of his wife's suffering and death was to keep a journal, to write down not just what was happening, but how he felt about it. He could name it and actually thus help to neutralize it. And in many ways, a grief observed is that journal. It is, in effect, Lewis watching, responding, grieving, a very, very moving piece of writing. So it is very, very different from a problem of pain. What I think Lewis was doing in that book was really almost like self-therapy. You know, I'm going to try and help myself come to terms with this and move on. But I have to say it is a very moving piece of writing in which Lewis hits on a solution. He hits on a way of thinking about this which is not neatly intellectual, in fact, which actually is almost emotional because the the turning point in the book is when Lewis, thinking my wife is suffering dreadfully, I wish I could take her place, and then finds his mind moving sideways. But isn't that what happened on the cross? Didn't Christ suffer on the cross for us? And that line of thought, if you like, opens up a different way of thinking about it, which sets him free from his own introspection, gives him a fresh perspective, and in the end will provide him with not a rational solution, but a way of coping with pain. I think one of the points to make here is that the problem of pain treats suffering as kind of way, something you have to to solve, intellectual puzzle. A grief observed is about how you cope with suffering. It's a very different question. And Lewis coped by A, writing about it, and B, having an image of the suffering of Christ as a way of kind of beginning to imaginatively embrace everything that joy went through. And he found that really helpful. I would suggest that unless you knew C.S. Lewis had written both books, you would never guess it. The styles are different. The approach is different. The only thing they have in common really is this focusing on Christ's suffering as a possible key to the enigma of suffering. Why do you think he released it with a pseudonym? I think Lewis felt that um, he named people, not necessarily directly in the book, including, of course, Joy herself. Uh, He uses a different name to refer to her. And I think he wanted to protect her anonymity 
and indeed the anonymity of all those who were involved in the care process and so on. So he used um, a, a nickname. He chose one initially, which was um, rather transparent. It was, it was very, um, very, as I put it, elaborate. <laughs> and T.S. Eliot, who ran the press that published it, looked at it and said, this is C.S. Lewis, I know it. <laughs> you know? So in effect, he had to choose a different one. But certainly he wanted to, in effect, preserve the anonymity, not so much of himself, as the people he was writing about. So it wasn't because he was being quite emotional and vulnerable and he didn't want people to know that it was more protecting other people. Well, you're right to ask that question because Lewis, Lewis suggests it to protect other people. But, you know, there might be that possibility that he's trying to protect himself. I guess... In some senses and in some circles, Lewis has got uh, a bit of a reputation for being not emotional. If, if we take a grief observed out of it, sometimes he comes across, uh, or people perceive him to come across as slightly cold and clinical and intellectual. Um, and clearly, if you look at a grief observed, that's that's not true, nor is it a fair representation. If there was um, a young man in the throes of distress, maybe he's been through a similar experience to C.S. Lewis, lost his mother or lost his wife to a, a crippling disease. What do you think Lewis would say to that man in terms of comfort? I think Lewis would probably suggest he read A Grief Observed rather than The Problem of Pain. I think that, that is an important point because Lewis himself says in A Grief Observed that the kind of arguments he used in The Problem of Pain. He doesn't refer to his book. He just names some of them. And the ones he uses just do not convince when you're experiencing the, the um, emotional trauma of suffering. And maybe that's the right place to start, acknowledging the reality of the experience, maybe trying to write it down, but also finding a way of beginning to narrate this narrative with the narrative of Christ, because in the end, that's what Lewis did, and it worked. I think without the narrative of Christ as a counterbalance, I think there's always going to be a lack of resolution, a lack of um, hope in the face of suffering. What Lewis was able to do was to bring these two stories together and realize how they pointed to, um, to a hopeful outcome. We're going to unpack hope a little bit more in, in another podcast. But why do you think the problem of suffering seems to be an objection that consistently comes up? It's not something in some senses that we have found an answer to and we can kind of tick that thing and, and move on. It seems that in every generation, perhaps the question is articulated in a different way, but it always seems to be the, the most dominant objection to belief in God. Why do you think that is? I think that's a very good question. I think whatever your worldview is, there'll always be something that doesn't fit in. For Richard Dawkins, you know, atheism is right, so why do so many people believe in God? Well, answer, because they're, they're, they're deluded fools. And it's not really very persuasive. For Christians, the, um, the vulnerability, the point which doesn't seem to fit in very well, is suffering. And so if you're a scientist, as I am, the question you're going to ask is this. Is suffering a disconfirmation, a piece of evidence that says you have to abandon the whole theory? Or is it an anomaly, something that doesn't fit in but you believe the theory survives despite that fact. I think it's an anomaly, and I think that's what Lewis thinks as well. But I think there's a much deeper point here, and I think we need to look at this. We need to look more closely at the reasons why we find suffering so 
so difficult? Why do we have this gut feeling that so many people have that this isn't right? In other words, it's not just that suffering seems to be a kind of theoretical anomaly. It's, it's unfair. This, shouldn't, this is not the way things are meant to be. Because a lot of Christian writers would say that that really is a reflection of the Christian grand narrative, which is saying we did not come from a place of suffering. We are not going to a place of suffering. Suffering is something we experience here. But basically, it it seems a problem because we know that it wasn't like this, and we know it will not be like this in the New Jerusalem. And therefore, its presence here and now really is something that we just feel is out of place and shouldn't be here. And that, in one sense, is why so many Christians want to get involved in poverty relief or famine relief or healthcare work because they they recognize the force of this vision and want to try and make this world a better place so for me where does this intuition this is not the way things are meant to be come from it's part of the christian narrative and in effect it's saying this is the way things are here it will not always be so there is hope but in the meantime we do what we can to try and relieve the situation and that's what Lewis would have said as well, isn't it? It is, very much so. Uh, Lewis you know, uh, suffered in hope of being pulled like that. Central to C.S. Lewis's view of pain and suffering was, as you said, the crucified Christ and his suffering and knowing that we're not alone in the suffering. I suppose in some senses that's comfort to Christians who know that. How would C.S. Lewis have articulated that to someone who didn't know God, had no reference point for God, I suppose, particularly in our culture where we've maybe lost some of those reference points and people don't even, have potentially never even heard of a crucified Messiah. I think that that really is a very good question. And Lewis was clearly writing for a culture which still was largely Christian, um, although clearly there there were transitions taking place, which um, we now understand better today. Lewis, I think, would have to say something like this. The answer to the question of suffering always presupposes an intellectual starting point. If it's Darwinian, well, suffering isn't a problem because, you know, that's the way it is. Get used to it. If you're a Christian, well, you know, it is a problem because God's good, but it is set within this narrative of creation, redemption, and the hope of final consummation. And if you don't share in that um, narrative, then you can't share in its approach to suffering. I think what Lewis would have to say is something like this, and indeed he uses this kind of approach in some of his writings. I want you to imagine that this is a way of looking at the world. I want you to step inside this way of looking at the world and ask what it looks like from inside. I'm going to describe to you the Christian narrative of suffering and redemption. I'm going to say you don't have to agree with this, but understand it, step inside it, and look at suffering again does it seem different from within that perspective so in effect it's about standing inside a christian network wearing christian spectacles looking at this and seeing it in a different way i think that lewis actually has something important to say there not saying in effect uh, you've got to become a christian before you can make sense of this but rather i wonder if i could tell you how i see this from my perspective and invite you to step inside that way of 
thinking and see how it works for you. So part of that is contrasting different worldviews so that the Christian viewpoint becomes more clear. Exactly. And to take it one stage further, it's also about the imagination. It's about being able to, in an act of empathetic imagination, step inside this way of thinking and look at the world through it and say, ah, I see something now that my worldview does not allow me to see. This is clearly a really emotive subject and something that Lewis had lots to say about. Um, but that also, you know, he wrote The Problem of Pain, he wrote A Grief Observed, but you also see it weaved into the Narnia Chronicles and some of his other writing. Are there any other books that you would recommend either by Lewis himself or by other people about Lewis's view of suffering and pain that you'd recommend? I think that um, the best person to read about Lewis really is Lewis himself. And certainly in the Chronicles of Narnia, the descriptions of Aslan's compassionate suffering. Uh, it, it's just so moving. I think really I, I recommend reading that. There are lots of good books on, on the whole theme of suffering, but actually Lewis has his own distinct integrity. Nobody has solved this problem. But I don't want you to worry about that because the key point is this is only a problem if you stand within the Christian tradition, and it's a problem that can be dealt with within the Christian tradition. Every worldview has its difficulties. This is Christianity's. Atheism has other problems. You know, Darwinism has other problems. We all have our problems. This is the Christian's problem. And in that narrative of the crucified, suffering Christ, we have an imaginative framework which helps us to see this in a different way. And Lewis discovered that and valued that. If you were to just summarise a little bit of Lewis's position on suffering, but also, I suppose, share some of your thoughts having reflected on Lewis, what would you say to someone in the throes of grief? I think I would want to say something like this, that it is not simply that something has happened, which is, you know, deeply distressing. It's that it's had this impact on you. And that is enormously significant. And the loss of someone you love is deeply traumatic. I'd want to say, think of Christ dying on the cross. That is the father losing the son. Try and imagine how there's a counterpart within God to what you're going through. And remember that we're talking about a loving God. And that is something that we must always allow to bring. But also, just try and see this from a human perspective. Why are we so deeply distressed when somebody we love dies? There's a line from Tennyson I think is really important. Far better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Because the reason you are so grief-stricken is because you loved. If you didn't love, it wouldn't be such a big deal. So the, the, the takeaway message really is that we love and the price of loving someone is if they are taken away, it is devastating. But that's a reflection on your love, not simply what they've been through. And we cannot go through life without loving. The downside of loving is the sadness of separation. But we keep on loving. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the eighth episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. 
I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about C.S. Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. Over this first series of the C.S. Lewis podcast, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics, such as the meaning of life, stories and apologetics. Next week, we will focus on Lewis's thoughts around hope and heaven. (laughs) 